0: on, I was doing a lot of assessment of what pro teams doing in the in the US market. What are they doing in the European market? How can I make that different for the Australian market? And then additionally, and I think a lot of people do that, they they, they follow, they get in the bubble of sport and go, oh, look at what the Cowboys have done or look at what Arsenal have done or look what the Lakers have done. But then I also like to look outside of sports, like what's happening in music? How are they engaging with fans at a live event? What, how are they doing
1: it differently? What would be the sports version of that? Hi, welcome to the halftime snacks. My name is Ronen Aminbinder. This show features the stories of talented people working in sports. Are you ready? Let's go. Snack features an extraordinary and unique guest. I highly doubt there's anyone out there with such a well-diversified curriculum in the sports industry as his. He's the founder of SportsGeek, a platform that helps teams, leagues, and athletes expand their businesses and generate more revenues through digital strategies. He's also the founder of SG Esports and owner of League of Legends professional team Gravitas. He's widely famous for hosting the Sports Geek podcast since 2014 where he talks about digital marketing and the different applications of technology in sports his area of expertise lies in the intersection between brand management digital marketing and technology nevertheless he can provide insights around any topic on the sports and esports industry our guest is an entire polymath of the industry and i can't wait to learn from him so without further ado ladies and gentlemen Sean Callanan.
0: Oh, thank you very much, Ronan. I think you should be my hot man. Can I hire you to introduce me everywhere? That's terrific.
1: Man, it it would be my pleasure. It's an honor to host you. Thank you so much for taking my invitation to the Halftime Snacks. You're a legend and I'm so happy to have you here and I'm sure the listeners will be happy as well. So I want to start off by talking about how you see yourself in the future. And I want to ask you specifically when you look forward to what you aim to achieve in your life, what do you want your eventual Wikipedia page, which I actually didn't find? I thought I was going to find the Wikipedia page about you, but not yet. Yeah. But I'm sure. I'm sure in the future we'll find one. Uh, what do you want the Wikipedia page to say?
0: Uh, yeah, Wikipedia. That's still on the bucket list. It um, was uh, something actually. Uh, uh, I was at a conference in Montreal, uh, run by C2. Uh, I was sorry. The conference called C2 it was run by the guys from Cirque du Soleil. And I was lucky enough to go through a workshop with the people that design the circus of slay shows and they and they they started to dive in on the why of a show and then they in the workshop they said that they started to do the why of you and why you're here and what are you trying to do and being really big and bold and so I've still got the piece of paper over there on my uh, on my on my board and it was and this was 2018 um I wrote down um, I want digital to be the number one revenue driver for sports by the by the year 2030. Um, and then they said, you know, what's the why? And I wanted to be recognized as one of the digital foref- forefathers for the sports digital industry. Um, so I joke, you know, when I started Sports Geek, um, sports teams had one person updating the website, uh, you know, and I've used a you know, good friend, Jeremy McPeak was at the Phoenix Suns. His web handle used to be Suns Webmaster. Um, and now there's a whole industry there, and so I'm really proud of that. I, you know, a lot, made a lot of friends in the in the space. But yeah, if Wikipedia are, are listening and they want to put up a profile, um, that's what I want to see. But I do want to see, uh, I guess, digital and the revenue coming in from digital to continue to grow. Um, I think it got a nice, it's one of the uh, good outcomes of 2020. We're going to look at the positives of 2020. One of the positives of that was that more uh, digital activations were run last year than any other year. Uh, More sponsorship was starting to look into that space. So um, I actually think COVID like accelerated my goal for 2030. So if that's, yeah, that's what I'd like. And maybe, you know, if I'm greedy, maybe a couple of Gravachash World Championships that go on that Wikipedia page as well. But pretty much, yeah. Yeah. digital and, and growing the sports industry in that space, it would be something that I would love on uh, on the Wikipedia page.
1: That's awesome, uh, Sean. I, I'm sure that the first line is going to be a visionary and a pioneer of digital integrations in sports. And that's going to be it, man. That's awesome.
0: Terrific. I, I will. Let's get you on as a Wikipedia editor because I'm loving everything you're saying <laughs> so far.
1: I'm so down, man. <laughs> you know, we have so many different uh youngsters uh, listeners of the show yep. people that are trying to uh get their careers going in sports and i want to know if you can share with us your story i know is a very very long story because my god your linkedin page you can scroll down 25 times and you can still find more and more experiences but i want to know how did, how exactly did you start it in the sports industry how did you break in tell us a little bit about it
0: Yep, yeah, a long LinkedIn just says that I'm old and experienced. Um, but uh, I guess it's also the background of, of Sports Geek. So I started out my uh, career from a uni point of view. I did Bachelor of IT at uni, uh, which was a mix of business and, and IT. Um, and I went into a world of coding, but I was always a sports fan. So I was a developer for many times, but even as, uh, even younger, I was going to Melbourne Tigers, which is a local basketball team here. And I was making a fool of myself on the, um, in the stands. Like, I feel like I was doing fan engagement before it was invented. I was getting people doing the wave and game entertainment. I was on the game entertainment committee of the local team. And even then like 21, 22, I wanted to get into sports. Um, but I was in it and it was Y2K, uh, was paying well. Um, and so I sort of dabbled a little bit in sports over the years thinking, Oh, I can get into the world of sports. I produced a TV show for for both basketball and a football club. I did a, I did a data project uh, with some US colleges. Again, these were all like side hustle type businesses um, that I did with a few friends and a few colleagues. Um, thinking that, oh, I'll leave this IT job and, and go, into, go into the world of sports. It's so exciting, sports, you know, all of these things. But I never made that leap, like, again, and there's lots of people who are, might be thinking that career change piece. And then 2009, um, I sort of en- ended up, uh, finished up at a job, you know, being a computer developer, running development teams. And I'd sort of reached my end of, end of doing that. I'd sort of sick of building programs for people in different different industries and sort of really wanted to um, get into the world of sports so when i started sports geek i thought i would just be doing a lot of the geek stuff that i've been doing for 15 years helping them with their databases and crm and building systems for for the world of sport because it still needed um, I thought it needed some help, um, like I was a frustrated sports fan getting terrible emails and not really communicating with me right. And um, so when I started, I started looking at that and started talking to different teams, but looking what they were doing in that comms and digital space. and you know a few little a few a few platforms were just starting to rise then, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they were starting to grow and the sports teams were starting to dabble in them. And so my tech skills and my geek skills, Gave me enough insight to go well this is what you know mr zuckerberg's doing over here this is what instagram's trying to do so i started advising telling teams well hang on you've got to start talking to the fans using this tone and and leveraging these platforms because there's fans all active and social on these platforms and the teams weren't quite understanding it so early on i was really applying those those skills that i'd learnt in the 15 year it career um to say hey this is what you should be doing in this digital space and so that enabled me to get into you know get start working with teams um talking to uh people in the sports industry to say hey you've got to be on this you've got to be on these platforms and that's sort of how my first couple of got my first couple of clients got my first couple of speaking gigs um and it sort of uh, snowballed from there
1: would you say that the side hustles that you mentioned, that you produce a few events and uh, uh, TV shows around sports, would you say that that was kind of like the bridge that started to uh, fill the gap between IT and your knowledge in sports? And then how you came up with the creative idea of serving clients from Sports Geek in that way? Would you say that has something to do or?
0: Yeah, a, a little bit, like, because I was always... It was a bit of a you know, sports was a passion like I love sports love going to sports um and I thought there was a way to do it do it better and so doing things like you know producing a TV show on um on community TV and playing around with sponsorship packages or doing an assessment of fans was like all well, this you know and seeing that it was successful we just didn't get to the the next big contract like there was a few things that didn't quite like we got a club deal and then the TV contract change and every team got a a tv show for free and we're like oh we just did a whole deal to put a tv so we had some misstarts but it still gave me confidence that the ideas that we were doing were working um whether uh, other people implemented in other parts of the world so the ideas were right it was just a matter of keep throwing them out there so but it definitely gave me more insights into the world of sport but yeah but it, it but it gave me some skills and then saying yeah actually i do enjoy doing this and gave me more I guess drive to chase it down but like sports geek when i started i spent nine months telling everyone they need a sports geek they're like we don't need a sports geek I'm like yes you do you're not engaging on facebook you're not gonna get... and so then when i started having some success they're like oh actually we do and then that's when the uh the work started to open up more people started getting hired and they're like well we need help with this can you come in
1: that's awesome that's awesome sean thank you so much for sharing that's very inspiring and i'm sure that Many of uh, the up-and-coming talents in the industry probably would understand that if you have some side hustles in the sports industry, if if you're doing a podcast or if you're writing about something, it can also help you build some reputation, build your network, and then arrive to that moment like yourself that you were able to create Sports Geek and then be able to communicate that to all the people that you already know. Yeah,
0: I mean, it was funny. It was funny because like I was producing content, I was blogging. I was, you know, hadn't done podcasting at that point. And so I was just sort of saying, this is what I think. And people were watching it and to at one point I ranked all the teams in the local league here and said, this is how I think they're doing. And I had one team call me up angry because they were below their crosstown rival. He goes, well, we have done all this work and he just hated it. He's like, and I defended it and said, well, this is what I'm trying to do. You know, three months later, they became a client. So because we had had that conversation, so um yeah those kind of things getting your name out there having robust discussions you know it's worthwhile
1: nowadays i mean i would consider yourself an icon uh, of the industry most people uh know you from twitter from linkedin from the work that you put in but i want to know what are the primary sources of inspiration or what metal models do you use to deliver creative work and and stay on top of the game and
0: yep so i think there's a couple of couple of pieces like yeah, one of the phrases I use on the broadcast a lot and it sometimes creates controversy. Some people don't like it, but it's, it's steal, steal with pride, right? Like um, if you see cool things being done in different parts of the world or different industries, like it's only, you know, there's a twist and how can you do it for your fans? So early on, I was doing a lot of assessment of what um, what are the uh, pro teams doing in the, in the US uh, market? What are they doing in the European market? How can I make that different for the Australian market. And then additionally, and I think a lot of people do that, they, they they follow, they get in the bubble of sport and go, oh, look at what the Cowboys have done, or look at what Arsenal have done, or look what the Lakers have done. And they go, oh, how can we do it? And that's great, because then that just sort of lifts the bar, you know, you twist it, you do it a little bit more, a bit differently, gets everyone pushing one another. But then I also like to look outside of sports, like What's happening in music? How are they engaging with fans at a live event? What's, how are they doing it differently? What would be the sports version of that? So I'm always looking for, uh, in different, uh, try to look in other verticals where people potentially aren't, because there's a lot of really uh, fresh ideas. I think I'm lucky in the network that I've created that they are, you know, they are sharing. So I've got some people that I really trust if they share an article, that's an article I'm definitely going to read. And so and then the other thing is, is just try to yeah, always be on the lookout for um, yeah, new and fresh ideas and and see what's happening in that startup space to see how it might, you know, try uh, change the trajectory of what we what we're doing. So even though I'm not coding and geeking out as much these days, I can still sort of see the tech landscape to go, oh, that's a cool bit of tech. What might that be? But then also there's been a whole bunch of tech that's like, yeah, we'll try that product. Oh, that product doesn't exist anymore. But there's a little bit of you got to try it to at least learn a little bit from it.
1: Yeah, I like the idea of looking at other markets and industries, as you said, at the end of the day, sports is an entertainment. So how many other forms of entertainment are? There? So, I mean, we could, we could talk a lot, a lot about it, but I think that's kind of like how you've been able to keep yourself on top of the game for so long and and that's awesome i'm very curious to ask you about esports because i saw that you own a team and you also uh created this sg esports company when did you first thought about esports or can you take us back to what year you realized this was going to be a thing you've been in the industry for more than 20 years so i'm I'm sure you you have a lot of insight about it can you can you tell us a little bit about that
0: yeah so i mean as part of sports geek i'm regularly on you know pre-pandemic on the conference circuit talking on stages and and meeting people um and i think it was about 20 uh 2016 i was at a conference uh uh speaking at a conference and a good friend of mine lou sticker invited me up to the gold coast and there was a conference panel on esports uh and there's a couple of couple of guys there dave harris who'd gone and bought a team that i you know i knew dave and i'm like what are you doing you've started a capital firm and you bought an esports team what's that what do you mean um, and Nick Vanzetti, who worked at ESL as a as a tournament organizer, and they sort of just laid out, hey, this is what eSports is. And this was also back in the, in the sports industry was even just going, is eSports a sport? Is it really? It's just people playing computer games. And um, and But when I was talking to Dave and Nick and sort of learning a little bit more, I went, eSports is a lot, was a lot like sports when I started Sports Geek. So when I started Sports Geek, all the fans were congregating on all these social and digital channels. And the official teams and leagues broadcasters hadn't made that connection to all these digital fans. Whereas esports, they're digital natives. They're already on Twitch. They're already on Twitter. They're already on Instagram. They're really active. Um, they're not, you know, they're not going to TV and radio, all these older platforms. Um, and so I said, well, it's, it's it's exactly the same. It's just, and they haven't done the, the connection of commercializing. And, you know, so sports geek had been around for six or seven years. And I'm like, we've figured out we've figured out pieces of this commercializing digital fans. Um, let's get on board. And so, uh, one of my clients, uh, in the AFL Australian rules here, uh, the Adelaide Crows, um, who had been working with for a while, they were starting to look at the esports scene in the same way that in North America, there was uh, pro teams buying up esports teams. And I said, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. It's a way to extend your sponsorship activation, reach a new market, Uh, potentially maybe get some fans across, but really it's just that sponsor and reaching your audience. And so I was, uh, I guess, advocating and being a bit of an evangelist for eSports to say, I believe in the wave, it's long-term, like the people who, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, watching the Detroit Pistons beat up a Michael Jordan. And I watched basketball when I was growing up as I played basketball, whereas uh, the kids of today or the, you know, the youth of today are watching, and playing Fortnite and League of Legends and Call of Duty. So, you know, I looked up and you know to to Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and those like. Whereas, you know, if you're a gamer, you're looking at Faker and and Ninja as a streamer, and yet you know you're following that. So, I saw that sort of trajectory and was saying, hey, if anyone else wants to buy a team or get involved with the team, let me know. I'd love to be involved in some way. So. It was, yeah, probably 2016, 2017. Um, the good thing about a podcast is you can interview people and ask them a bunch of stuff. So I use my podcast to interview a bunch of people in the esports space um, to learn more. So I interviewed um, uh, Brenda Donahue from the Commissioner of the NBA 2K, some of the guys at Riot Games, Nigel Smart from Adelaide Crows about them buying an esports team. So it started giving me also insight into the bit of the behind the scenes of, of the industry. Um, so yeah. So then I think it was in 2018, right. Games came to me and said, thank you for telling everyone about esports and league of legends, esports. Can you help us find someone for the spot in the league? And I said, sure. And so I helped build out the tender and I went, hang on. I sort of told everyone I, you should get in. So I put my hand up and applied for the tender and uh November, 2018, we got the call that uh, we had a spot in the league. And so we had six weeks to come up with a name, uh, recruit players, come up with a logo, come up with a jersey design. And January 2019, Gravitas played their first match. So um, it's quite strange to to go from not having a team to now I'm managing a team of gamers and trying to learn it in this new league. So it's been, yeah, it's been exciting. And I guess to wrap up that story, the guys that I saw on the conference panel in 2016, um, we just did a deal with, and they're gonna now run our league that Gravitas is in. So it's like perfect circle. And I was really happy to be part of that to, to give some longevity to the League of Legends Esports scene here in this market.
1: Man, would you, would you agree that you don't really know where a conversation will end? Isn't it crazy how you ended up doing that because of a conversation you had in a conference years years and years ago?
0: Yeah, I, it is it is that and I think you know when you're asking me you know when that first thought like like literally you know from it's a like a 5-year journey to go from like listening to Dave and Nick and having them both on the podcast and you know Dave was an owner in our league and competing against him um and going to MEO which was hosted by Nick and like being part of the scene and then it's like I guess what full circle and you know and i was helping them uh with riot to bring this new league to fruition so yeah i'm really excited about the uh, about the space and i guess the growth and longevity of you know what esports will be
1: man it's awesome how you're still able to be a visionary and know the up and coming segments of the market and the industry
0: don't write me off yet <laughs> don't, don't write me off yet no. i understand your point i'm just having a little bit of fun
1: next time i want to know what's the up and coming thing i'm going to make sure you come to the podcast again but that's not what we okay. are okay. here for but
0: yeah one one exciting trend at a time yeah i, <laughs> think. I think esports is here to, esports is here to stay um but you know for mine and i hope so and, yeah i really look forward to you know, at the moment we're going through recruiting for players for this uh, for this upcoming season and you know my goal is to develop the players and develop the scene um, like i want to see and i'm really really happy one of one of the guys that played in our first year just played a played a match uh, this morning over in north america so like that's amazing that someone that had his rookie year with us two years ago is now playing in north america so my goal is one hopefully gravitas is successful but i would love to see you know former Gravitas players playing all around the world because then that says what we're doing here is is, is right. And then and then it allows people to go, oh, where did you come from? Oh, I came from Gravitas. And whether you're in Mexico or Detroit or London, you can be following Gravitas. That's sort of the
1: goal. I'm going to make a mental note about esports and I'm going to come back to you in five years to see where we're at. Yes, definitely. But uh, you, you've been able to develop a very important or relevant brand of yourself on... Uh, social media, particularly Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, I want to know if there are any lessons that you can share with us about networking, building an audience, creating uh, content, delivering through your podcast, your newsletter, your presence. Uh, Can you share with us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, I think my IT background sort of gives me a bit of an unfair advantage to be, to be honest, uh, especially on the LinkedIn,
1: you know, how the algorithm works. Or oh, it's not, that? no, it's
0: not, so, oh, there's a <laughs> bit of that. There's a little bit of playing how the algorithm works, but, um, I was really early, um, on LinkedIn. Um, so I, as an industry was on LinkedIn earlier. So in my former job, I was running a, a development, a development team of 300 people. And we were going through the terrible a uh, scenario about uh, downsizing and department people getting laid off, which is a lot of people have had in the last 12 months. But I pretty much rallied everybody and said, look, there's 300 of us. Let's all get on LinkedIn because in three years time, we'll all be in different places and potentially we'll be able to give each other a hand. And so I saw the early value of LinkedIn of that, the power of the network. And so when I started Sports Geek, I really pushed hard into LinkedIn to make the appropriate connections, um, especially in the US market where I think the US market is more open to be, to networking people with interesting ideas. And so I did a lot of work there, reaching out to people, telling people what I was doing, being interested in what they're doing. I think it's key to be like two things, be interested and interesting. Um, you can't just be one, you can't be one of other. you've got to be both. So you've got to be interested in what they're doing uh, and sort of, and being engaged with what they're doing, but then also bring something. So also bring some value to, to them. So if it's, you know, whether it's someone you're, you know, is at your same level or it's someone above you or someone below you, it should, it should be both. And then the other part has been, I guess, closing the loop on those in real life connections. So going to a lot of conferences, a lot of networking events, doing a lot of virtual stuff in the last 12, eighteen months, um, platforms like lunch club have been really good. Uh, we ran some sports business Zoom calls all last year. We, I hosted about 70 of those, just inviting the industry that was all working from home. And we didn't know how this thing was going to pan out. Uh, so making those in real life connections, uh, then that solidifies uh, the social connection. Um, so if you are f- you know, flicking through your feed. If I see Shane Harmon, who's a good mate of mine, who I effectively met via Twitter, but now I've been to multiple conferences. We might only see each other once or twice a year because he lives in New Zealand. I'm in Australia and we normally only meet in America, but we're always following each other and have a closer connection on social. So it's about, yeah, it's great. You can go follow a stack of people, but it's really making a connection with someone to go, oh, I'm going to stop every now and again to read or reply. It's been really important. And then that's helped, like building that work has helped the content I've put out, whether it's the podcasts um, or, or speaking and those kind of things. Um, has been really important.
1: Yeah, I love how you mentioned trying to make it more human, humanizing the interaction, else you just feel that you're talking to a machine. And I think that's one of the reasons why you can also drive engagement like some of the big names in the industry do. And, and I think that's great. Sean, I want to ask you now about uh, Sports Geek, the company that you currently run. I want to know if you envision any pivots in the business model in the next 10 20 years? And if you do, then in what ways do you think it will change? Yeah,
0: I think I think there's, um, so we've got a process digital to dollars that helps fan helps rights holders, teams, leagues, athletes, understand how to take their audience and make money. And so it's know your audience, know your content, know your distribution, know your value, know your pitch, um, to sort of what that sponsorship piece looks like and i think that know your pitch is going to be where the most of the change happens so i think we're going to go from hey take your logo put it on my jersey or put it on my content um, and say thank you and i'll write your report to um to more of a media buying and a performance model so people will buy they'll still do the sponsorship but it'll be valued at a at a media uh buying type of 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 and media selling type of option so here's three hundred thousand dollars that we're putting um into your content and it's tracked and measured so it's it's the same as buying an ad on tv or digital via programmatic so i think there's that piece of sports sponsorship activations will become more media buying and then i think there'll be more performance stuff so instead of doing a deal with a, a car company and again they just give you a bag of money and you put their logo and you Get a picture with a player in front of a car um there'll be more incentives and more uh push to say how many cars did you sell how many test drives did you book which i think there is a big upside and a big a big opportunity for the world of sports if they get that right so i think that's where there'll be more innovation in that space and i think some of the already some of the teams are starting to do that in helping you know sponsors sell uh, because that's where the sponsor the, the sponsors will be far tougher on where they're spending money. And if they can if they can spend money and know they're getting a result, they will continue to spend money. So it'll all come down to how well you know your fans, the data you've got, and be able to hit the right fan with the right offer uh, to be able to get success there. But that's where I think it'll be. And you know, it goes back to the digital being the number one driver in sports. Like if a sports team can say, we've got a million people in our database, we're not gonna send the email to everybody but there's 40,000 people that are ready to buy that car. We're going to send it to them. And look at that, 2,000 people bought a car. Like um, that kind of data science and marketing and is going to be crucial uh, going forward.
1: Yeah, and I believe that also the introduction of microtransactions powered by blockchain technology will be able to measure, as you said, uh, by this a specific number, even if it's like after a few decimals of how much interaction a certain post made or how much how much money did you spend on an actual ad based on 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 engagement and on fan interaction am i right do you see do you see that also combining
0: yeah yeah the me- the measurement and and knowing where your money has gone um is getting better uh, all the time and so there's there's parties out there now that are, that can tell you you know what a tweet is worth or what a post is worth um, that's just going to get better across social, digital, all the live streaming. Like if you're looking at a OTT service or a Twitch stream, what's happening in that right corner? Um, how often are people looking at it? Are they clicking on it? Like all of that data, full, you know, running down that digital tracking uh, rabbit hole. Uh, the more that you can explain to a, a a buyer that this is what you bought, and by the way, this is what we delivered, uh, the better it'll be, because that's that's where you know if in our piece know your value has been the piece that's most sports go we don't know what to price this and so um for us it's an exercise of going well that's what we think it's worth but really on the pitch side if you get the result that people want it doesn't matter how many facebook posts you did or how many instagrams you did If, if they if they sold all those cars or got those credit card sign ups or um or got that uplift in sales like, that's what they want. That's what their business is.
1: Yeah, and I think that most of the, let's say, athletes, or not not athletes, but maybe influencers or people with high followings, there's this thing that you mentioned called know your audience. I guess that I've read in Twitter uh, about a story of a guy with probably 9 million followers that couldn't even sell 10 t-shirts. So it probably wasn't even a match. I guess that it's also a lesson for people athletes and influencers with audiences to know exactly who they're talking to and who can they match their potential sponsorships with so that yeah, that's
0: com- completely
1: now i want to ask you a last and personal question and that's more directed towards the listeners and in in case you have a few practical recommendations two three practical recommendations you could give to someone looking to develop their career in the business or technology side of sports? What would you advise them and why?
0: Um, so, like I said before, um, uh, LinkedIn is is king. Um, so, you know, at, at least
1: really over Twitter,
0: oh, no. it, uh, over but, Twitter. So, but if you like one, first of all, fill out your profile and make it compelling and all of those things, like too many people don't do that. Um, you know, I see too many, uh, too many inappropriate LinkedIn photos like it is work right so it, sh- it should be a CV like I you know I the reason I was on LinkedIn is because I didn't want to write a CV or resume anymore and I said that's it go just go there so make that up to date um LinkedIn is valuable like you can make those one-on-one connections uh people unfortunately like because what Twitter is there's not as many sports executives that there were on Uh, When I started, like when I was 2009, 2010, there was a lot of people that were really approachable, but you get to a certain level of a uh, C-level executive, they're not as active. So there's a lot of people that aren't active on Twitter, unfortunately. You can still make, it it does have some really good um, uh, groups in different verticals. Like there's a sports creative, all the designers, they seem to still be on Twitter. um, And a lot of the digital folk are, but like, you know, if you're trying to get into commercial or events, they might not be on there. So... Um, so it's really, you know, I think LinkedIn is valuable, but it's really embed yourself in the scene as much as you can. So if that is, uh, going to net, you know, finding out, going to networking events, um, uh, c- contributing, or being a part of some online events, like I said, our sports, Biz zoom calls. We had a really wide selection of people turning up. Some were C level execs and managers, and some people were students who were just coming in, um, back to that point of be interested, and interesting, always try to deliver value, like, especially when you ask, like, if you want to ask someone, uh, Hey, can you tell me about the industry or can I have an informational interview or those kind of things, make sure you're, you know, I guess, providing some value to them. Um, um, I'm a big believer in, you know, helping people up. Um, so, you know, um, help people also that need the help as well. Don't just go, hey, I've got to this step. Don't worry about all the people behind you. Like, um, it works both ways. Um, and then also look, um, uh, I guess, look for opportunity. Like, everyone looks at sports and goes, I want to, um, you know, I want to I work there. Which is a bit like, you know, I'm a basketballer. And I want to play in the NBA. When there's a whole bunch of leagues underneath. Um, and there's a whole bunch of sports that aren't the big, sexy sports that need lots of help whether it's a, a a local club, you know, we've got lots of local clubs that have done it really tough in 2020 with hardly any local sport, um, whether it be a cricket club or a football club or a basketball club. Like if someone's saying, Hey, I want to get in the digital space. I'm like, have you run a digital channel for your local club? Because they need help and you can do whatever you want. Like you can just take it off the 62 year old club president and say, I'll run the Twitter and I'll run the Instagram. And it's your own play play thing. Um, And so, you know, if someone says, who should I hire? I'd be like, well, look at that person. They're doing really cool things with a local sport that's really hard. So that's what I'd I'd be looking at that because it it allows you to build out your portfolio um, without, you know, being right there. Because if someone says, here you go, there's the, you know, there's the Lakers Twitter account and you've never done it before. Like, it's really nerve wracking so um yeah that's what that's what i would suggest and that's how you would also be found and get your name out there you know sports is it's not a place that you look for a job board like they, the jobs happen and then they get filled and no one gets advertised because it's a bit of who you know but that's the industry um so you've sort of got to bed yourself into the scene in some way or another um and yeah conferences and networking is networking events are a good one hopefully when they return
1: Awesome, Sean, uh, where can the listeners find you?
0: Well, if, I, if they can't find me, I've done a terrible job as a marketer. Um, but uh, if they Google Sean Callanan, they'll find me. Um, Sports Geek HQ is the website. Uh, Sports Geek on most channels. My name is my social handle on most channels. Um, but yeah if, you, yeah, if you can't find me, then I don't deserve to be found. So that's just me putting, uh, uh, putting a high bar on, on my own marketing. But yeah, Sean Callinan on most platforms will find me.
1: If you can't find Sean, let Sean know, because then he'll know that he's doing something wrong exactly Exactly. (laughs) well Sean I think that's a great place to wrap today's conversation I want to thank you so much for coming to the Halftime Snacks and providing so much of your insightful and obviously uh, well uh, developed experience in the industry man you're an absolute legend you're an inspiration for all my listeners and for me as well and man hopefully we can meet up sometime in the future in real real life but for now thank you so much for coming to the Halftime Snacks Before you leave, I want to thank you for listening. To hear this or any other halftime snack, check out the full archive on my website, which you can find on the show notes. See you next week.